0: Well, good morning, everybody. Hope you guys are having a good 4th of July so far. Happy 4th, happy 4th. Hey, I don't know about what you think you are, but I just want to say, I think you're pretty committed. Like, you're here on 4th of July weekend. You don't have swimming trunks on, at least as far as I can tell. Um, Again, I can't see everybody, but I'm, I'm guessing, maybe you got bathing suit on underneath, but man, you're here, and so... All right, that's awesome. Online people, look, maybe you're at the lake, maybe you're at the beach. I don't know where you're at, but if you're watching this, like, way to go. Like you're here, you're leaning in. I think that's awesome. So uh, let's just give ourselves a round of applause. Way to go, way to go. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Hey, um, if you're here and you're new, And that's awesome. We are so thankful you would take some time out of your week. I I met a lady earlier, and I was like, wow, you picked a great Sunday to be here. Um, If you are new, I want to draw your attention to this card. that's in the chair in front of you. It's called a Next Steps card. It's what we would invite you to fill out if you are here for the very first time, but also if you need prayer and something that's going on in your life. You're like, hey, man, I got this going on. Whether you're new or you've been here for a long time, man, we want to be a church that honestly believes in the power of prayer, that participates in letting those requests be known and then letting those requests be prayed for because we believe when God's people pray, miracles can happen. And so prayer requests, you can put those on there. If you wanna get uh, in the know about serving or getting connected or you wanna make a decision for Christ today, all that happens on those next step cards and there's two little boxes back there in the back where you can take those after service, all right? Hey, let me ask you a question. What is your favorite thing about the 4th of July, all right? Um, what, what's your favorite thing? Favorite thing? What's up, Titus? Hey, hey, son. My favorite thing about today is we have kids here with us. Like you guys, notice that if you're here in person, they're actually young humans with us. That's cool. Um, cool. What's up, buddy? Um, so yeah, what's your favorite thing about Fourth of July? You guys in the chat, you guys just yell it out with your keyboard. Um, fireworks! I heard that in the back. Kids, this is where you get to yell at me. Okay, that's awesome. Parents are going to make you shush later on, but now's the point where you get to yell things out. Okay. So favorite things about Fourth of July? What we got? Did somebody say potato salad? (laughs) I was going to ask you to leave uh, in Jesus' name. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, Fireworks, hot dogs, freedom. There's a good one. Freedom. That's awesome. Yeah. One of my favorite things about the 4th of July is what we're doing right now. The amazing, unbelievable privilege it is to, in a moment in time, we're all around the world they're a Christian gathering in secret. They're a Christian, like we have a safety team here at MCC, but we don't have a lookout. Like we don't have somebody, like if the police show up here, we think it's because they're protecting us. A lot of other places the police show up, they know they're in trouble. And so not only do we get to, to gather, gather together to sing these songs that we sing and, and, and to open up this, this book that is illegal in so many countries. That so many martyrs have died for this book to be able to be in circulation, to be in people's hands. We get to gather together to dive into this. And it's an unbelievable privilege. And so, man, I just want to say props to you from taking some time out of your weekend before you dive into hot dogs and maybe potato salad or fireworks and patriotism and all these other things to say, man, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And I'm gathering together around the word of God to be able to lean in and learn more and more about what it means to be a citizen of heaven, to be a child of God. And so today we're gonna do that. If you got a Bible, uh, we've been in this series where we're walking through this sermon in the Gospel of Matthew called Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And we've specifically been leaning into these Beatitudes. So if you got a Bible, go to Matthew chapter five. That's where we're gonna be. Matthew chapter five. All right, I'm gonna read this passage, and then we're going to camp out on the specific few verses that we're going to unpack today. Today, we're actually going to be kind of rounding out this, this Beatitudes intro that Jesus gives to this Sermon on the Mount. Let's read. Now, when he saw the crowds, he there is Jesus. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside, and he sat down, and his disciples came to him. He began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven from the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I want to go back and read those few passages of 10 11 and 12 one more time. That's going to be what we're going to camp out today. And I don't think it's any random coincidence that on 4th of July where we're celebrating our independence and our freedom we're going to be diving into a passage today that Talks about persecution and what happens when you take this faith so serious that it offends other people. So I want to read it one more time. It's going to be on screens. You want to see it? If you don't have a Bible with you, it's fine. Let's dig in this together. Start in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray, church. Jesus, we thank you that over 2,000 years ago, you sat down on an obscure hillside in Galilee and you said these words. I don't believe, Jesus, that there are any less significance here 2,000 years later in a city called McDonough. Father, we gathered here together for all sorts of different reasons. But I pray that we come today looking for something real, longing for the good life that can only be found in you. Father, many of us, myself included, we have tried to taste the trappings of this world. We have tried to taste the good things and the the things that the world tells us are the best things to have and to go get this and pursue this and want this and and get attention from this or her or him or whatever. We've tried those things, God, but most of us would be willing to admit in a room like this, God, that those things have left us still wanting more. Jesus, uh, a passage like this, I can't even begin to fully explain to your people with my own words. And so I need yours, they need yours, we need yours, in your name, amen. All right, so I don't really know any other way to tackle this text without just kind of breaking apart word by word. And many of you have probably noticed that's been some of the shift that has happened here as we've dove into this series, talking about this new normal that Jesus invites us into is we are taking this word by word, verse by verse to really understand the context of what's going on here. And that is what we're going to do today. Before we dive into that, I want to make something really clear about these beatitudes, okay? So if you remember, one of the big points we've made in these is that when Jesus talks about being blessed are the the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven and blessed are those who mourn for they'll be comforted. And we walk all the way through those beatitudes. We made this point in here that these aren't Proverbs That these aren't little wise sayings. You can just pull one of these out and go, okay, I'm going to write this on your birthday card and it'll be yours. That these are things that flow in conjunction with the other. Almost if you were talking like like monkey bars. How I many of you kids in the room, you love monkey bars, like swinging through them. It's awesome. You love monkey bars. And every little kid in here will tell you that the more you keep your momentum, the easier it is to go from the next rung of the monkey bars. All right. That's the same way it is with the Beatitudes. The momentum off of one carries you on to the next one. Last week, I didn't mention this to you last week, but last week we actually got to the last one. The seventh beatitude, the final beatitude, and again, seven is a number of completeness in the Bible. The seventh one is Jesus saying, Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, all these beatitudes, we talked about them as things where you should want to pursue as much of this as possible. All these beatitudes are what is called the process, things that you know is the process of sanctification in somebody's life. They're not the things that would say, okay, do these things and become a Christian. These are the necessary elements of a Christian life. Poverty of spirit, meekness, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, being a peacemaker. Now, if you put all these together, you're looking at your word, you see these things, these one through seven, and it culminates with the hardest one. Again, the hardest thing to do is to As you've been made at peace with God, now live your life as a peacemaker. Most hard thing to do. Again, impossible to do without Jesus' help. Jesus comes to this. He wraps up this whole new life of what it looks like in his new kingdom. And those one through seven ones is him saying, okay, I'm here. It's a whole new kingdom. We're doing a whole new thing. Everything you thought about normal is now gone. Here's what's new. Here's the new way to live. And you would think that after he said all of these things about this brand new life that he was coming to offer, he would say, when you live this way, everybody's gonna love you. You're gonna be the coolest kid on the corner. You're gonna get verified on Instagram. Like life is going to be awesome when you live this way. But that's not what he says. He says, when you do this, persecution will happen. And that's why this this passage here in 10 through 12, is not a beatitude in the same way that the other ones are, as that you're supposed to pursue these things. You just wanna get as much peacemaking in your life as you can. You wanna get as much righteousness in your life as you can. But when it comes to persecution, again, this is where the, the, the philosophy in here kind of breaks down, the logic breaks down. You don't want to get the most persecution you can. You don't, you don't actively go out and pursue persecution. He's saying, when you live out the new normal life that I'm talking about, persecution will find you. That's why he says what he says. So let's walk through it. First of all, he says, blessed. Again, he ties into the same reality that we've mentioned in all these. He says, blessed are you when you're persecuted. And we talked about blessed and we defined it as this. It's this Greek word, makarios, but we talked about it. It's really hard to define in English language. We talked about it like this, that blessed is God's face looking your way, pleased. It's knowing that the face of God is looking at you and that he's proud of you. He's pleased with you and offers you all of the great life that you can truly have. That is blessed. So he says, blessed. God's face, looking my way, pleased. It's the good life, the fullness of God in me. He says, blessed are you when you're persecuted. Now, persecuted we don't really talk about that a whole lot in our day and age we think about that something happening over there or our conspiracy theory friend on facebook they talk about persecution but like we don't really know what persecution here in our society is so i want to take you to what the original hearers of this term would have thought when they said blessed are the persecuted they would have thought about a hunter pursuing an animal they would have thought about someone actively pursuing something with effort to hunt it down take hold of it and kill it so for example me and Titus, in our, in our neighborhood, we have um, a lot of woods in our backyard and it backs up to this reservoir. And I don't know if it's because of all that, but we have a lot of raccoons that live in our woods. Now, at this point, the raccoons have not done anything really besides, like, come up and eat the, like, the nasty grease leftovers on our grill. Like, they like to, for some reason, they're really into that stuff. And so they come up there, and they're just, and they're just like, they eat on that. And so one night, one of our first nights in, you know, living in the new house, we've got this big uh, sliding glass door that goes out to the back patio. And Jessica and I are sitting at the table. Boys are already in bed, and it's dark. The little light's on out there, though. And so we see this, and Jessica said, there's a cat on the patio. And I look out there and I go, honey, that's not a cat. Um, That's a raccoon. And so she kind of freaks out. And so we have raccoons all all throughout our woods. Right now, we're just letting the raccoons be. Now, if me and Titus, like if I trained him how to shoot a BB gun, how to use a slingshot, I said, son, we're gonna eradicate all of the raccoons from all the woods, and I'm gonna give you a Davy Crockett hat when it's all said and done with. You're gonna make it, it's gonna be on your head that would be us persecuting raccoons. But right now in this moment, in regards to you and your life, in regards to us, even in our faith in this country, that's not what we're experiencing. We may be experiencing pressure, but we're not experiencing persecution. Persecution was Paul going to the Sanhedrin, this religious authority and saying, listen, I want to snuff out all the Christians I can. So sign this piece of paper so I can head to Damascus and get and actually get on a road and go pursue these people in Damascus so I can put them in jail, put them in prison, break up families. And if I kill them, i kill them. That's persecution. Okay. So he says, blessed are you when you're persecuted, when that's happening to you. So he says, blessed are you when you're persecuted. Now you may go, okay, if I live out this Beatitudes life, why would people persecute me? Jesus told us why. He did in John 3, 19. If you've got a Bible, you can flip over there. It's actually not gonna be on the screens. I wanna read it to you. Jesus tells us why the world will not be excited about us living this new normal. He says, light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light. We can attest to that, right? We can see that, right? People love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Almost every morning without fail, my youngest son, Ezra, Uh, most everybody gets up before him. He's the last person to get up in our house. But um, most of the time we can hear when he's up. He'll get up in the bed and uh, we can just hear, dad, 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 just screaming at the top of his lungs. And uh, we put our kids uh, to bed before the sun goes down. And so in their rooms, we have blackout curtains. And so they got blackout curtains in our room. He's screaming, dad, and not in an angry way, just like, please come and get me, legit. Um, I want you to come here. And so we go up there. I I go get him. Now, as soon as I bring him out of the room, you know what this little kid says? Oh, too bright, too bright, too bright. Now listen, this is the world we live in, a world that's desperately craving the Father's attention. But when things begin to push them into the light, oh, it's too bright, it's too bright, it's too much. And so the world, as much as it, whether it realizes or not, longs the embrace of the Father, the world at the very same time hates the light because the light reveals that they've actually been in darkness for a long time. And it's something that has to be overcome if they're going to continue to keep that embrace with the father. So he says, they're going to persecute you. You're too bright. Pastor Tim next week is going to talk about what that means, this idea of of, of you of the light of the world. He says, blessed are you when they persecute you because of righteousness. Now, we can hear that and go, okay. What in the world are we talking about? Like, okay, blessed are you when you're persecuted, but you're not just persecuted for being a jerk. You're not just persecuted for speeding. You're not just. Per- this is when you are blessed and persecuted. It's when you are persecuted because of righteousness. All right, let's put our thinking caps on for a second. Got to understand what that. What in the world does that word mean? All right, we we talked about this a little bit when we went to the beatitude of a blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. This is what righteousness is. First of all, righteousness is Jesus. That's who he is. Over and over, the scripture refers to him as the righteous one. Righteousness is Jesus. Secondly, righteousness is who you are in Christ. If you're in Christ, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So it's who Jesus is. It's who we are in Christ. But then thirdly, it's who we are becoming in Christ. When we talked about it, we unpacked righteousness as this thing that is actually twofold it is on one side, it is positional, okay? So because of Jesus and what he did, he has deemed us righteous. We are in a righteous position in front of Christ. But at the same time, it is also something that's supposed to be lived out practically in our life. We talk about as positional righteousness and practicing righteousness. This is Jesus as our Lord, our Savior and this is Jesus of our Lord of our life. This is us being justified and this is us being sanctified. So there's this righteousness, and, and Paul he he expresses this when he's writing to his protege Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 11, He says, But you, man of God, flee from all this, flee from all the stuff in this world, flee from the darkness, and he says, Pursue righteousness. So righteousness that Jesus is talking about here is not an either-or, but it's him saying, Okay, when you have Christ replace your old heart of stone and give you this brand new life you will then have and be at the position of being righteous before god now he still requires and expects you to live out that righteousness and what that righteousness looks like being lived out is the beatitudes that is righteousness being practiced that's why jesus circles all the way back around here at this you know okay what's going to happen if you live these out and says hey Blessed are you when you're persecuted because of righteousness. When you begin to practice, when this righteousness that is in here, when this old heart of stone has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus and it actually becomes something that's lived out in your life, in practice, okay, that's when persecution will actually come. That's what he's talking about. So, okay, blessed are you when you persecute righteousness. How do we respond to that? Like what in the world do we do? First of all, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when some persecution comes. Now I know, maybe in our lives right now, a lot of this hasn't happened. But when it does, and I said when, because I think Jesus makes it clear, when, don't be surprised. Don't be bummed out. Know that you're actually on the right path. I want to show you this verse. Sometimes the most powerful stuff is the most simple stuff. Look at what 2 Timothy 3.12 says. Again, Paul's writing, trying to encourage a young man in ministry, trying to encourage somebody who's trying to figure this life out. This is what he says. Again, very simple, very powerful, very cut and dry. I love it. He says, in fact, which is like, in fact, facts, as the young people would say, straight facts, uh, anyone who wants to live a godly life, which, I mean, if you polled the room, polled online, who wants to live a godly life? Even people who are like, I don't know about all this Jesus stuff, I want to kind of live a godly life. Like, I want to be nice to people, not steal, not lie. I want to live a godly life. Okay, so Jesus says it. Or Paul, speaking through Jesus, says this. If you want to live a godly life, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Which, and the hard part of coming to a verse like this, for me this past week, was going, that kind of begs this question of like, am I being persecuted? Like I think I'm living a godly life, but this verse says if I, anybody who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted, and if I'm not being persecuted, does that mean I'm not living a godly life? It's a big question. I think it's something every, every person who would say, I'm not gonna just be a fake follower of Christ, but an authentic, a real follower of Christ, has to wrestle with. Because we come to something like this, and man, honestly, it's kind of it's repulsive. To say, this is the faith we follow. One where you live this really hard life and then hard things will happen to you. That's the the unfortunate thing. A lot of times we water down grace and we water down the the life of Christ. But man, it really is something that is impossible. And we hear these words and we go, man, that's really hard. And and you should think that. That's what Jesus wanted you to think. Maybe in a step further, he wants you to think this is actually 100% impossible. And that's his point. I want to show you something. If you have a Bible, you can see this. If you didn't, I've been telling you all along to keep bringing your Bible to church. Um, If you've got your phone, pull it out. I want you to see something here. Why am I still in 1 Peter? Go back to Matthew. All right. Look at verse 11. All right, I want you to show, I want to show you this. He says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute, and falsely all kinds of evil against you because of me. All right, that's cool. Now go up to verse 10. All right, he's explaining what happens in all of this. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Again, he's keeping with this whole beatitude thing of blessed and here's your promise because of this. This is why you'll be blessed. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All right, now go all the way back up to verse three. I love seeing heads go down, that's beautiful. Verse 3, where he starts. Again, this is how he started the whole entire sermon. First words out of his mouth Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What do those two verses have in common? The exact same promise. Jesus didn't say here in this last one, that he said, like, again, the first seven, or is he, this is the attitude we have to have, and he says, okay, in this last one here, this eighth thing, this is what will happen if you live all of this out. He didn't say here in this last one, blessed are you when you're persecuted, for yours is the kingdom of heaven, because he ran out of things to say. He didn't run out of illustrations, he didn't run out of promises, so he circled back to the one he said at the beginning. What's happening here? is Jesus trying to explain what I call, or I've started calling the Beatitude Cycle. That as you work through these, you will be persecuted. As you are persecuted, you get this promise. And again, Jesus is doing this, I believe, on purpose to to see, okay, well, wow, wait wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me not just be a Christian who reads Bible verses, but let me be a Christian who sees the whole passage and sees what's going on here. Okay, he says, um, blessed are you when you're persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Circle all the way back, hold up. That's what he said at the beginning. Exactly, that's what he said at the beginning. And the whole purpose is there is that when you start getting persecuted because of your righteousness, when you start living this life out and bad things may start happening to you and it gets tough, it gets fierce, man, you're going, well, man, like, I don't know if I can be bold in this way. That's exactly where Jesus wants you. Because what you do is you circle all the way back and go, Jesus, I don't have what it takes to live this life. I don't have what it takes to withstand this persecution. I don't have, I need, it takes you right back to being poor in spirit. And it sends you right back through the Beatitudes, right back into being a peacemaker, and then right back because you're trying to make peace with God in a world that's at odds with him, you get persecuted and it shoots you right back around. And this is the snowball effect of our faith that many times we just don't even realize. And many of us have never got to the place where we've been persecuted, so it's never sent us right back around. But that's what he's trying to make a point here: is this is how it works. So he says that, In verse 10 and then 11, unlike any of the other ones, he kind of doubles down on this concept that, listen, blessed are you when you're persecuted because of righteousness. And he reiterates this point in verse 11. Look at what he says. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kind of evil against you because of me, all right? So the first one, when he says, bless you when you're persecuted, it's kind of implying there's gonna be some physical harm that's gonna be at risk here. If you're gonna live this out, sometimes, Bad things are physically going to happen to you. And then he takes it to the other side that maybe we're a little bit more familiar with. People are going to talk about you behind your back. People are going to talk about you behind your face. People are maybe even going to post some bad things about you online. The teachers in college are going to figure out which one of you are Christians real quick. And they're going to pick on you. That's going to happen. He says, be ready for it. Bless you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Now, for us, there's not a lot of physical harm that has been happening in our country against us because of our faith. It's happening around the world in alarming numbers. It's the most under under talked about thing in the entire world, I believe, how much Christian persecution is actually happening. It doesn't make the news. I'm fascinated by things that do make the news, it's ridiculous but this, it won't. And like I said earlier, I have a hard time defining what we face here as American Christians, as persecution, I think it's better defined as pressure. Pressure to not have anybody say anything wrong against us. Pressure to not have anybody go, they're so two-faced, or they're just a hypocrite. But I love what he says here. When this happens, People will persecute you, falsely all, say all of evil against you. He says, they're doing this not because you're a jerk, not because you're outspoken, not because you're standing up for your rights. He says, they're doing this because of me which kind of takes us to the question though. Like if you, if you do feel like people are persecuting you or people are kind of, you know, you're getting into arguments on Facebook or everything else around faith and different types of things, I, I would take us to the question though, is this happening because of you or is this happening because of Jesus? Like is that persecution happened just because you're a jerk or is it happen because of Jesus? It could be both, but it could be one or the other two. And that's something we got to wrestle down. Jesus said that we should expect these things in John 15, 20. He says, "Remember what I told you. Don't forget this. When, when it happens, when people start talking about it behind their back, when you don't get that promotion, when you know the, the people say these things, when, when this goes on, when when everybody at the at school next year says, you know, whoa, whoa, whoa you, you haven't, you know, you haven't, you know, you're not, you're not dating, you're, you're not doing these things, you don't have that. When the, when the people make fun of you because you don't have a TikTok, and you're like, why wow, don't I TikTok? When people think you're crazy because you won't let your kids spend the night at their house, he says, it's okay." John 15, 20. Remember what I told you. A servant is no greater than his master. And here in this scenario, you're a servant. A servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. So don't be surprised. He says, they obey my teaching, they will obey you also. And 1 Peter, same idea here. He says, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. But here, I would also add a caveat. Don't be a jerk in the name of Christ. Don't be rude to people in Jesus' name. Don't, don't have somebody do something, and then your response is, well, bless your heart. Like, that's not cool. Don't be that person. He says, if they insult you because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Now, man, I know there's something inside of me, just confession time. As a pastor, one of the things I struggle with is being a people pleaser, because there are a lot of you guys, right? I don't want to make any of you guys angry. I don't. Um, but I, I heard, you know, somebody say this, maybe it was in college, maybe it was when I was starting in ministry, everything else. Um, I said, Trent, if you want to make everybody happy, go sell ice cream. Um, and I was like, yeah, that makes sense. But now you can't even sell ice cream and make everybody happy because people show up to the ice cream truck and they're like, is this gluten-free? Like, is, is this sugar-free? Do you have any lactose options? Like, like, you can't do anything and make everybody happy. That's the point that I've come to find out in my life. There's nothing you can do and make everybody happy. Nothing. But there's something still inside of us that does want to make everybody happy. Maybe you didn't know this. In the, um, there's, so Jesus has be attitudes, but also in the book of Luke, Luke gives the antithesis to the Beatitudes. Where you have the seven Beatitudes, in Luke you have the seven woes. And one of those, in Luke 6, 26, I'll show it to you. He says, woe to you. Again, it's like the opposite of being blessed. Woe to you when everybody speaks well of you. For that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. So he says, hey, like, If everybody's in your corner, everybody loves you. That probably means that you're saying one thing around one person and saying another thing around another person so that they both like you. Which means you're two-faced. Which means you're a hypocrite. Which means you're a people pleaser. Which means you care more about what people think about you than the God who died for you thinks of you. And he says, that's a problem. Woe to you when that's the life you're living. So he elaborates this point here. Further explaining these promises, if you're gonna be bold and brave enough to live out your faith in the face of persecution, he then goes to verse 12, and he says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Okay, okay, we're blessed, but then he also promises, man, you've got a great reward coming in heaven. Again, listen to all the language around this because we're going to, this is where we're gonna kind of land the plane today about we are not citizens of the United States of America. We, are, we have a dual citizenship and it's primary citizenship. If we are in Christ, it's not here. It's heaven, it's the point he's making. He says, blessed are you when you're persecuted for yours is the kingdom of heaven. And it doesn't happen when you get to heaven, it happens now, because persecution happens here now. And then he says, okay, and don't freak out because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecute the prophets who were before you. So why do we rejoice? Why do, how in the world, and again, this has been so counter to When the people hearing this would have heard this, they have been like, Jesus, you're crazy out of your mind there have been many of them who would want to rise up there have been people in the crowd that day on that hillside in galilee who wanted a political revolution there were make jerusalem great again people in the crowd and when they hear jesus say blessed are you when you're persecuted blessed are you when you are pressed down when you don't have a voice you don't have a, when they heard jesus say these things they were like no we need a David, we need a King Solomon. We need somebody to come in, overthrow all the Romans, give us a big voice, give us a big kingdom. So Jesus, again, flipping all that on his head. And here's why we can rejoice. Firstly, because he unites us with Christ. Philippians 3:10. Paul's talking. He says, I want to know Christ, which is the heartbeat of everybody who, who, who should know Christ. I, I want to know him. That's the whole purpose of this thing. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection, which I read that and I'm like, yes, we all read that. I, mean, I want to like, know Jesus, but I want to know what in the world is inside of him that was so powerful, so amazing that he could conquer death, raise up from the grave. Man, I want to know about that. The problem of wanting to know about a resurrection is you can't know about a resurrection until you know about a crucifixion and everybody wants to know about the power to overcome and the power to be victory but what paul is explaining to us here is i want to know the power of his resurrection and participating in his suffering becoming like him in his death so why do i rejoice when suffering comes my way because it's going to unite me to christ two why do we rejoice in persecution it reminds us that this world is not our home Romans 8.18 says this, for if I consider the sufferings of this present time, they are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Saying, listen, this world's not my home. The stuff that's happening here, the suffering that's happening here, it doesn't compare to what I'm gonna see be revealed to me there. Another passage that I think makes that super clear that is something to keep in the forefront of our mind today as we celebrate this country, Philippians 3.20. He says, but we are citizens of heaven, 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 you're a citizen of heaven. Your green card may say you're a citizen of the United States, your passport may say you're a citizen of the United States, but all those papers will fade away because as much as your feet have a home, your soul has a home. And its destination, the place where it belongs, the place where, and this is what's crazy. Maybe you never thought about this. The place where you were created to be is heaven with your father, united to him. That's home. So we can't live and get fired up and go, go, go bonkers over when things go wrong in this world. We're citizens of heaven, Philippians 3 20. We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. We are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior which I would just lean in and camp out and you know, talk to American Christians in the room. What are you waiting for most? Are you waiting for him to return a savior? Or are you waiting for gas prices to go down? Are you waiting for him to return a savior? Or are you waiting for a Republican to become president again? What are you waiting for? Like what's your heart generally longed for in regards to your citizenship? That's a hard question. What, what are we waiting for? See I want to show you this verse it's Acts 541 So practically speaking living all this out Jesus had some disciples and the whole reason that you're here and you would even label yourself or call yourself maybe a disciple is because they faced immense persecution Like Stephen the first Christian martyr was stoned he kept his eyes on Jesus the entire time stoned with rocks killed dead Paul was beheaded You go through Christian hero after Christian hero, and almost every single one of them died a violent, tumultuous death because of their faith in Jesus. There's one story in particular that I love. It's Acts 541. There's some apostles there, and they just got thrown in prison. Peter's one of them, says the apostles left the Sanhedrin. That was kind of the, the rule keepers. The people who said, we don't need a new normal. We like our normal. He left the Sanhedrin. They were rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering the grace of the name, that name there is capitalized because they're talking about Jesus. They just got their tails whooped and they leave just clicking heels, boom! We got our butts whooped! They're fired up. And that's, that's what freaks the world out. Now this is, this is different than sometimes how I feel like we have to respond when our freedoms are maybe taken away. So what's happening here is this Sanhedrin, this ruling party, they say, we don't want you to anymore talk about this Jesus guy. So they're trying to limit their freedoms. What what Paul, Peter, James, all these original church fathers, what they don't do is they don't make, go go down to their basement, go get in mama's arts and craft drawer and start making signs to go picket the Sanhedrin. We want rights, we want rights. None of them do that. Do you know what they do? They go and recklessly love the people around them and start an unstoppable movement that even while their friends' heads were getting cut off, it was exploding because they didn't waste time arguing on Facebook. They didn't waste time picketing. They didn't waste time doing all the things that maybe we think we need to do to get our rights back or to defend our rights. They weren't, I don't, I really don't see, as I studied scripture and looked through the early church, I don't see them freaking out because some of their rights will be taken away. I see them relinquish, recklessly going to Christ, praying wholeheartedly, and then going to his people and loving them with a reckless abandonment. And the world saw that and went. You can even hear it in, in some of the stories. There in Acts, the religious leaders go, guys, I know you may want to kill these guys, but even if you do kill them, if this thing's from God, there is no stopping it. I believe God wants to continue something that he started a long time ago that's unstoppable. And I want us to understand that the only way that will happen is with love. And actually maybe laying down some rights. Not freaking out because some rights are maybe suppressed or we're not able to say a certain thing or do a certain thing. Again, I I believe we should be bold. I believe we should care. But again, the things that we're bold about are the things that Jesus was bold about. And so I ask you this question. Big heart question. Hopefully it doesn't ruin your full too light weekend. What are you most afraid of? What is it? What is it that you're most afraid of? I know the kids in the room, you're like sharks. Definitely Sharks. What are you most afraid of though? For most people, you're afraid of rejection. You're afraid of being told you don't fit in here. You're afraid of a denial email that says the job's not yours, we're going in a different direction. You're afraid of, you know, I, I don't love you anymore. We're, we're afraid of rejection. We crave, we crave, we crave acceptance. Fear man, though, and I can speak from my own personal experience. Like, I don't, I can think of a a laundry list of regrets that I have from decisions that I made because I was scared of what other people would think about me. I got a list. But what I don't have a list of, and when I just scratch my brain, I can't even come up with anything is I have no regrets for the times and the decisions in my life where I have made a decision that I knew was the one God was actually calling me to. I don't have any regrets there. The other question I would ask is this. What are you living for? What are you living for? Like, what is your greatest, like, what is that desire, that thing that you're living for? I want this. Most of us, if we're really honest, we're living for approval. Approval. Approval from a parent we maybe didn't get it from. Approval from a boss. Approval from, you know, the cool kids at high school. Approval from some people online. I want to get it. I get addicted to little hearts and, you know, thumbs up and all these things. And it's that little shot of dopamine. I just want to keep going back and keep going back. I'm living for approval. I want to be accepted. I want to be known. I want to be liked. I want to be loved. We want approval. Problem with being addicted to approval is people who are addicted to approval They prioritize acceptance over obedience. That's why your kids act out. If they're not getting any sort of attention, they will go and do the wrong thing just to get acceptance, just to get people to notice them. That's what approval addicts do. They prioritize being accepted more than they prioritize obedience. And So the question really isn't who or what am I living for? It's who am I living for? My living from God's approval? That he says, you're my beloved son. I love you, I care for you. I sent my son to die for you. You're my beloved daughter, I sent my son to die for you. And I wanna be in a relationship with you. See, when you're, when you're not living for the world's approval, and you're living from God's approval, then you no longer fear the rejection of man. And when you get to that place, then when persecution comes, you're ready. You can have a story like Rick Tenenoff. Rick Tenenoff, in 1993, he and two other missionaries were trying to advance God's kingdom among the Kuna Indians. I say the Kuna Indians, they were in kind of this region of South America in Colombia. And as they were trying to advance amongst this Kuna Indian, this tribe of people, in 1993, there were some Colombian rebels practicing guerrilla warfare. They enter in to this tribe where these pastors had been trying, these missionaries had been trying to minister and they take these three missionaries captive. They went to the village, they kidnapped them and for years, they had thought the group had just been missing, these guys that they had captured. They thought that they had just been a missing group, that they were just nowhere to be found. Later, it was determined that they were in fact killed there on the mission field by these Colombian rebels. And a few years later, Tara Tenenov, she wrote a poem about her father. It's powerful because it speaks to us about how we can have hope and courage in the face of whatever opposition may come. I know it doesn't seem like there are going to be rebels and um, anti-Christian movements that may come on us, but it gives us hope that as I look at the courage of the faith of others, it can allow me to boldly stand through whatever I may face here. The pressure to just mail it in, the pressure to live out this American dream and, and throw away the gospel. This is what she wrote. The poem is called, There Once Was a Man. There once was a man, a man I once knew who told me stories every night and laughed at my jokes and held me tight. He told me, don't quit and always fight the good fight. He said, love the Lord with all your heart and serve him with all your might. He begged me, do right. There once was a man, a man I once knew, who taught me how to tie my shoe and gently smiled at every picture I drew. He told me, When you start something, don't stop until the job is through. He said, I love you. There once was a man, a man I once knew. I saw him in my dream, and it made me scream. I called out, Daddy! But he told me nothing. He had nothing to say. For what can you say when you are far, so very far away? Daddy! I said, and then a voice echoed. I lay quiet and still in my bed. Again, the voice. Your daddy has made a choice. A choice to serve me with all his might. To not give up. To fight the good fight. He is doing a job for me and is not yet through. So remember, I love you you. There now is a man, a man I now know. He lived and he died to save men from their sin. He made it possible for us to be born again. I know because my daddy told me so. And even though he's no longer here, my God will always be near to fill in the gaps and to show me which way to go. I miss my dad so much, but God has a plan. So for now, I'll just wait and watch the work of his hand. There once was a man, a man I once knew. He's now just a memory slowly fading away. Dead or alive, you ask? I don't know, I say. So I beg you, please pray. Pray my daddy knows that every night I whisper, Daddy, I love you. There now is a man, a man I now know. Every day he becomes more real to me Every day in him I grow. Every day I pray that my love for him will be shown. I've made a choice to serve him with all my might, not to give up, to fight the good fight. Here on earth, I may not see my dad again, but that's all right. Because when my life is through, I can finally hear both say, my child, I love you. let's pray church Jesus I pray that we long for that day where we stand before you and hear well done good and faithful servant out of the peace that I had made with you you wouldn't made peace with the world And on the pathway to peace, you faced persecution, but you didn't quit, you didn't give up. You stayed strong and all along, it was my strength in you. As we come to you in these moments to receive communion, Jesus, we thank you that you fought that good fight. You saw us as you were on the cross. You looked there and said, I want you, I want you, I want them all. And I praise you that we can call on you as a friend, so that we can call on the Father and know that he is our daddy. And we are his. Draw us out of our sin. Draw us out of our fear. and Let us feel you draw us near in these moments. In your name, Jesus. Amen.